Well, I do appreciate the support uh, and him saying that. There's uh, several people have already said they've been praying for me. And then uh, Mrs. Cox in the back, I, when we're here, we often sit in front of them. And uh, I told her, I said, I'm not going to get to sit in front of you today. I said, I have to sit somewhere else. She said, hey. She said, we're cheering for you today. <laughs> and so she breaks out into cheers. Yeah. Let her go. Let her go. Don't bother her. Okay. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Anyway, I am grateful for Southwest Baptist and your kindness to Nancy and I uh, in supporting us uh, monthly to be a help to us and then in your prayers. And then I do enjoy preaching here. I generally do uh, have feel support rather than resistance. And so I'm looking forward to what we're going to do today. So uh, don't stand yet, but if you would put a marker in Luke chapter one. And then uh, turn to Matthew chapter one. I want to do something that I am certain that most of you do not care about. Because when I'm sitting where you are and a preacher does what I'm getting ready to do, I'm going, I don't care. <laughs> so what I'm getting ready to do is tell you uh, how this sermon kind of came about. Uh, I... See, there you go. I knew you didn't care, but I care. And so I, uh, I, I get to preach in uh, Springfield, Missouri, uh, the last 14 years or so, the Christmas service they have because our family has been going there. And so I do have a notebook of Christmas sermons and so on, and um, I enjoy them and so on. But I uh, just was so compelled uh, this year uh, to work on a new area. So anyway, today at this place, I intend to preach concerning the genealogy of Jesus. However, I'm just, we, we have to start at the beginning to get to the genealogy for my brain. And so I'm going to start at the beginning today. However, uh, tonight I'm going to do something that now tonight will be the third time that I've used something called PowerPoint. Wow. And the truth is, I'm not good at it. However, to see it, when I preach, I, like I said, I know you don't care. Doesn't matter, I'm telling you, since I'm the one standing here. All right. I, when I preach, I like to help you see what I see. My head, if I can see the pictures, I think I can tell other people about it. You can see it too. If I'm trying to preach and I can't see it, well, I'm wasting my time and your time. And I've done that in my life. I've not been able to see what I'm trying to get across in a, in a way that helps people see it. So tonight, uh, the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1 is incredible. And I've uh, been overwhelmed by it. I started uh, at November, right after Thanksgiving, working on the genealogy. And I became so enthralled in it. And like I was saying this to another pastor, he said, well, you, not like me, I have to prepare two or three or four brand new messages every week. You don't. You're right. I spent five weeks working on this and it just kept growing. Number one thing and another thing is that it, it kept overwhelming me. And what Miss Julia is saying, I've been overwhelmed with it. And I hope that my ability to paint or to show pictures this morning will introduce us to the pictures we're going to see tonight. And um, I, um, I'm not saying this so that when you walk by and tell me how good the pictures were, that's not my intent. I don't care about that. But I do care that you get to see them. Amen. So you don't need to congratulate me if you get to see them. Now, if you're totally shocked, maybe you go, hey, I never saw a picture in my life. Finally, you gave me one. <laughs> well, don't say that to me either, please. <laughs> And if you don't see any pictures, please don't say that to me either, because that would crush me. I might quit the ministry. 
so don't do that. So uh, did I tell you Matthew chapter 1? I did. If you're able, please stand. I'm not going to read all the genealogy this morning or tonight, but I am going to just bump into it. Chapter 1, Matthew, verse 1. The book of the generation of who? Of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas, that's Judah, and his brethren. And Judah begat Pharaoh and Zerah of Tamar, and Pharaoh begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram. And you go down here to verse 16, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. These are just beyond a, we know it's God's word, so it has import. We're aware of that. And when I read the genealogies in the Old Testament and the Chronicles and so on, I'm going, I know they're in here for a reason, God. But I don't have a clue. And for years and years, I've just moved over the genealogy. Several years, maybe four or five years ago, I heard a young preacher preach at a preacher's meeting, Matthew chapter 1, and I was amazed. I, and they didn't have it recorded. I, I just was amazed, but I thought, well, that was good. And then, but this year, several years later, God allowed me to spend the time, and I have been amazed by it. But to get to, Genesis, to Matthew 1, I want to start at the beginning. So if you would turn to Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to preach the whole Bible. <laughs> it's going to take a couple minutes. <laughs> Since I brought that up, that reminded me, I wanted to say that I am grateful to get to preach at Southwest and generally, not all the time, but generally Southwest is not a church that watches the clock. It's not, we didn't come to get out, we came to get something and hopefully even get in. And so I'm grateful for that. And I don't feel handcuffed on time, although I do have, uh, I'm aware of what time it is. And so I know that, I know that many of you are going to think, good. He, he preached an hour and 20 minutes. I promise you, I guarantee you right now it won't be an hour and 20 minutes. But it probably seemed like it though. So <laughs> there you go. Here we go. In the beginning, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Chapter two, please. Verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Verse 18. Eve is not present in verse 17. In verse 18. And the Lord God said it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. So he makes Eve. Chapter 3. Before we read chapter 3, I'd like to have prayer with you. Our great God, I love you. I want to say thank you so much for another Lord's Day. It's obvious that you know that we have a calendar and we mark time. And this is our last Sunday of this year. 
And thank you for faithful, dedicated people that come to church on New Year's Eve. Thank you for faithful people that love you and your word and support your ministry, your work by their faithfulness to giving. And Lord, we give you the glory for that. We are obvious, it's obvious, it's not by us and because of us, it's your goodness and your conviction and your touching hearts that we do any of this. So thank you. So thank you for privilege, it's mine to preach. I do, please help me to communicate, to get across truth. I know your word says that I can have power and unction and utterance. Please help me. And then I pray all of us are willing and ready hearers. And then Lord, as, uh, as I get to the conclusion in my head right now, I'm thinking about the conclusion of where we're going, that I'm overwhelmed in your goodness. I pray you'd help me get that across. So we're looking forward to what you're gonna do. Jesus, we're looking forward to when we get to see you. It's in your mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's keep going. Genesis 3 now, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Let's stop right there. We have the whole Bible and we know who the serpent is. In fact, in the Revelation uh, says that old serpent called the devil and Satan. We know who he is. I don't have time, but I, I am curious though, did Eve know who he was? Not likely. I don't know that. It is surprising that when the serpent talked to Eve, Eve didn't pass out. She wasn't shocked that an animal was talking to her. And she talked back. <laughs> kind of odd, but regardless. Let's keep going. In the middle of verse, uh, whatever verse we're on, was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Or where did she learn this from? She had to learn it. Evidently, it's assumed anyway that she learned it from Adam. God told Adam and then God created Eve. And now she's, she's being lied to. Does she know what a lie is? I, I don't, she's never experienced one before. All is perfection around her. But verse four, and the serpent said unto the woman, uh, you shall not surely die. That should have been a red flag for Miss Eve. Because that is the opposite of what her husband told her that God said. So she's got a choice here. I'm going to believe God or this snake. We'll see what I'm, and there she is. Verse 5. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat, that the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And you shall be as little G-O-Ds, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it treated to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. In the book of Timothy, the scripture lets us know Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived. One of the things that you have to try to get in your head anyway, if you are deceived, you don't know it. And here she is talking with a snake. And he's already, he's got a kind of this choice thing going on. 
But she's being deceived. She doesn't know she's being deceived. Hmm. But Adam, he was not. The consequences of Adam's choice. This is, I, I never considered this. He went in with his eyes wide opened and he chose to die with his wife. I, I know you don't know this, but I'm a romantic. Hey, I cried all Martin movies. And uh, sorry, I cried all Martin commercials. I would like to say he loved her so much. Can't prove it. You have to make up a fantasy, but I do know this. His eyes were wide open and he chose to die with his wife. Because of this choice, the book of Romans instructs us, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death is passed upon all men because of that choice. And then because of that choice, for that all of sin. So his consequences is all humans are going to be condemned. And because of this condemnation, death is passed on all humanity. Also, sinfulness is passed. On all humanity. So in 315, God makes a promise to that old serpent. Look at it, 315. God has Adam and Eve and the serpent present, and God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It her seed shall bruise thy head. Her seed will bruise the serpent's head. And thou, hey serpent, thou shalt bruise his heel. All right, something else pops out for me, for you may not have, but for me, it does say between thy seed And her seed. Now we're going to come to her seed, and most of us in the room already know who her seed is. But it says Satan has a seed. It says it. It says, Her seed shall bruise thy head. That's an individual, that's a personage. It's the old serpent. But it does say the serpent has a seed. I didn't like it when I, um, whoa, he's got a seed. Mercy, there's little demons running around everywhere. And I'm thinking, I don't like to talk about that we're all demon infected or Satan, what? And I didn't, and I don't like it. And yet the Bible says he has a seed. What is his seed? Well, let's go ahead and do this. There's only two sides. There's God's side and the old serpent. There's God's side and Satan's side. Amen? You're on one or the other. That's a reality. That's a fact. Hmm. What is Satan's seed? Well, Jesus illustrated it like this, or it wasn't just an illustration, it's a a fact that he pointed out. Just listen, please. And I wanted to say this at the outset. I have lots of verses I'm going to bring to your attention. We're not going to turn to them. Not until we go to Luke. But just hang on with me. 
In John 8 44, Jesus told the Pharisees, ye are of your father, the devil. Now, Satan did not come and physically give and be participant in their birth. But the idea is that they are inspired, they're infected with Satan. Listen to it in Matthew. Woe, Jesus says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye that are entering to go in. See those that their father is the devil. When other people want to come to Jesus, they prevent them from coming. They keep them from coming. That's what Jesus just said. The next verse, Jesus said this, Woe, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Ye can pass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, watch what the Bible says, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. So all, what, what, all humanity has been infected with Satan's seed. What is that seed? I would describe it, I think the Bible describes it as sin. Sinfulness. We're all born sinners. We've had sin since we were born. You don't have to teach an infant to lie. They're in there screaming bloody murder. You think someone's stabbing your baby to death. And you go in there and look down. And they go, ah. <laughs> little liar. So the scripture says there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. In fact, the Bible says in Psalms that the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, any that did seek God. They're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good. No, not one is how God determined it. Because we've all been infected with Satan's seed. It says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And then he describes it, well, between her seed and you. Between Thy seed and her seed. There's this going to be this enmity, this fighting, this warring, this battle that's going to be taking place between her seed. Now, we're going to get there, but righteousness, God, and your seed. There's going to be this constant battle between sinners. And God. Why? Well, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. It says in we in Romans 5, when we were enemies, Colossians 1, ye that were sometimes enemies. Because of the choice Adam made. The Bible says, listen, the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely say it out loud. Okay, everybody now this time. Thou, the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely. Yeah. Adam and Eve ate it. Did they fall down dead? Right there, they're gone. No, they didn't fall down dead. Physically, they didn't die. But when God said, let us make man in our own image, he did. He made them body, soul, and spirit. In our image. The day that thou eatest her, thou shalt surely die. Well, they died that day and they all died. They died spiritually. And now every baby born is born body, soul, and dead spirit. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. Adam is expelled from the garden. And here's a horrific thing that we don't spend time on, or I don't, but he doesn't get to have fellowship with God anymore. The fellowship is broken. Yeah. 
And this lack of fellowship has passed on all humans because we're all born dead in sin. In fact, Corinthians says, for as in Adam, all die. For since by man came death. Ephesians says, we were dead in trespasses and sin. So because of Adam's choice, all humans need to be quickened. Or you could say it like this, regenerated. Or you could say it like this, made alive. We need to be cleansed. We need to be forgiven. That's why Jesus says, Nicodemus, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. And old Nicodemus is scratching his head. He's a bright man. He's intelligent. He's educated. And he goes, can you enter the second time into your mother's womb and be born? Jesus could have said, you're such a goober. <laughs> he doesn't. Jesus says, no, no, no. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Hmm. Listen to how Jesus said it in John 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. What do you mean? Well, they were dead and they heard Jesus' voice. Now they're alive. In 24, it says, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death <laughs> to life. Amen. The curse, the condemnation comes through one man, Adam. And we're all born sinners with a dead spirit. We are all contaminated with Satan's seed. Back at 3.15, Jesus said that he said that it's going to bruise thy head. The seed of the woman, it shall bruise thy head. So I'm a strong concordance user and people that can go deeper and better than that, good for them. I don't. Strong says one of part of the definition of bruise is crushed. So the, here's the picture God gives them. Her seed is going to crush your head. Now, here's what I understand about a crushed head. It's over. Pretty good. It's over. And it says, you and I shall bruise his heel. It doesn't bruise his head, it bruises his heel. I don't know if you're getting this or not. The seed of the woman is going to bruise, crush, bruise his head. Your head is going to crush, bruise his heel. So there's some things that we automatically can collect from this is that Thy seed, her, shall bruise. Thy seed. It's as if God is saying, there's not going to be a man involved in this. Amen. That's right. Amen. It's just one man, Eve, thy seed, is going to bruise his head. Here's another thing that we gather from this. Your seed's Heel is going to be bruised. In fact, the Bible says it like this, shall bruise his heel. So there's an indicator right there that this is going to be a man, a male. And he's also going to be a human. The promise of 315 is that a human man child 
will come from a woman without a man involved. And this human man-child is going to crush serpent's head. I'm liking it. No, no, no. There's some gears clicking. I'm proud of you. Some people are going, well, that's kind of like impossible for a woman to have a baby without a man. And I'll just say it to your face. You're right. It is. It's impossible. Well, that means it's going to have to be a miracle. You're right. God's going to have to step in. And he does. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1. Doesn't take long to go through most of the Bible. Luke chapter 1. Wow. So Zacharias and Elizabeth have been told by an angel that he's going to have a baby. And they're surprised by it and so on. And uh, so when you get to Luke 1, verse 26, it says in the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Verse 27, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Verse 29, and when she saw him, she was troubled. What is saying and cast in her mind, what manner of salutation this should be. Verse 30, and the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Verse 31, and behold, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jehovah Savior, Jesus. Verse 32, and he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Verse 34, then said Mary unto the angel, well, how shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Just stop, take a breath here. Hey, hey, hey. There's a couple of things. There's lots of things. But a couple of things I want to think about is when Gabriel said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. It's not like, it's not recorded anywhere that Mary is going, hey, wait just a minute. I don't have nothing to do, no ghost. <laughs> it's not recorded. It's as if she's very aware of who the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit is. It's not a shocker to her that God is three persons. It's not a shocker to her that God is God the Father and God the Spirit. That's not a shocker to her. I thought that was fascinating that this young girl, we all say she's probably a teenager, that she's well aware of who God is. I think that's fascinating. That sounds that. When she said, uh, uh, how shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. I think it's important and it's obvious to point out she knows she's a virgin and if anybody knows Mary would know the angel answered in verse 35 said hey the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of God so let's think about this what are some things that Mary now knows after Gabriel showed up and shocked her? What does she now know? She knows she's going to have a baby. She knows his name is going to be Jesus. She knows that no man is going to be involved in the pregnancy. She knows 
this baby's going to come from God. And she knows this baby will be a holy thing. <laughs> I don't know if your brain works like this, but mine says, how come they call him a thing? He ain't no thing. That's a baby in that womb. Why is he called a thing? And during my study and research and so on, I happened to be talking to a good friend of mine, Brother Jim Alter up in Ohio. And I said, hey, I'm working on the genealogy. And we started talking back and forth the things I'm discovering and so on. And I said, yeah, why does it call him a thing, that holy thing? He said, oh, Brother Dave, that's one of my favorite sermons to preach. <laughs> oh, really? He said, yeah, let me tell you what the holy thing is. And now I'm going to read it to you. In Hebrews, it says, wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. See, Jesus didn't have a body before. Now he got one of them things. It's fascinating. There it is. And she knows he's going to be called the son of God. Now, what do we now know because of what Mary now knows? Well, you and I now know the seed of the woman came down from God the Father. Amen. We know the answer to Genesis 3.15. We know that the seed became, a God, became the God-man 2,000 years ago. <laughs> we now know that this seed, the God-man, his name, is Jesus. Blessed be God. Here's the deal. Jesus is the serpent crusher. Boom. It's right there. I love it. Turn to Matthew chapter one. Let me show you some more things here. Matthew chapter one. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, well, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. And while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. Stop, 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 stop. We're going to read more. Now, Joseph... He's engaged to Mary and their espousal. Most of you would know it's, it's like the wedding has already happened. There's this waiting period to make sure she is virtuous and so on. But anyway, she's now found with child and Joseph finds out, whoa. And she says, no, 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 it's good. It's good. It's, it's from God. And now if you're a man named Joseph, you would go, yeah, that's what I was thinking. No, you wouldn't. So while he's thinking about this thing, God goes, well, now we need to explain this to Joseph. And he does. Hallelujah. Verse number 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Look what it says. For he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. All right, we'll go ahead and do this right now. Um, I, uh, the next word is now in verse, uh, what, verse 22. Now that all this was done, then it might be fulfilled. Stop, 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 stop. In my head until this year, I've always thought that Matthew is kind of interrupting the, the, the events and he's going to say, oh, no, this was done to fulfill the prophecy. Uh, and I've always thought that it was just Matthew explaining to the readers, OK, this is why this was done. And it probably is correct. I don't like it, but it probably is correct. It might not be correct. Because. I'm thinking the angel could have said that to Joseph. According to the little text thing, he ain't awake yet. He's still in the dream state. 
Verse 22, now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Then Joseph being raised from sleep, did. Hmm. I, I, my entire ministry in life, I always said, well, yeah, he's explaining to the Jewish people who got the letter. Now, this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14. And it probably, that might be, you know, on somebody that's a real good uh, English major in grammar and verb tense and all those other words you say. You might go, yep, right there, I can prove it to you that he's, it's an interruption. But I'm just saying, it doesn't say it's an interruption. I really, really like the idea that the angel Gabriel is telling Joseph, now, hey, all this is done to fulfill the prophecy. I don't know that. But I do like the idea that Joseph understands this is prophecy fulfillment. When did he, Isaiah 7, 14 come to his mind during this pregnancy? Is everybody with me? I don't think him and Mary are going, this is the wildest thing I've ever seen. I'm thinking they're going, you know, this is like a fulfillment of God's promise as the pregnancy is going along. Is everybody with me? Hmm. Isaiah 7, written 650 years maybe before Christ was born. Anyway, let's keep going. Verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Verse 25. And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. All right. Now, what are some things Joseph now knows? He knows that Mary is definitely with child. He also knows she is still virtuous. He also know this baby came from God, the Holy Ghost. And since I brought it up, I will say that he's not shocked that he's aware of who God is and the Holy Ghost is. Hmm. And he knows she will have a son and his name will be Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. Doesn't say from Rome. It says from their sins. He also knows his name is Emmanuel. God with us. What? He knows that God is coming by way of birth through Mary. Wow. How do you explain that to your parents? Wow. Does he believe it? Uh, yeah. How do we know? He did what the angel said. He took Mary and didn't know her until the baby was born. His obedience is obvious that he has faith. What are some things we now know because of what Joseph knows? We know Joseph believes God's message. We know that God's message is a fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14. We know that Mary is a virgin and she will be having Emmanuel. God is coming. We now know this baby is coming by way of birth. We know his name is Jesus. He's the Savior. And we know that Jesus is the serpent crusher. The serpent crusher is God. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> I love it. Jesus is the one that's going to crush the serpent's head. But his heel will be bruised. Excuse me, this is God's plan. Here's another way to say it. This is God's promise. 4,000 years before Joseph and Mary, God promised serpent crushers coming. I want to give you a patchwork of verses out of Isaiah that describe how his heel will be bruised. 
Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Isaiah gives prophecy of what the sin, the serpent crushers would say. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. His visage, his appearance was so marred more than any man. The New Testament continues. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him. They did spit in his face and buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of the skull where they crucified him. And they that passed by railed on him and wagging their heads saying, save thyself, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priest mocking said with the scribes, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Looking under Jesus who endured the cross, despising the shame, died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. And God commendeth his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Was it effective? Did he crush the serpent's head? Hebrews says it like this. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Can somebody say amen? amen. The serpent crusher came. The serpent crusher crushed the serpent's head. He is the victor. Amen. Not only did Christ, God's son, crush the serpent's head. He also makes those who were dead in sins alive. Amen. He makes those who are sinners forgiven Amen. and cleansed. He makes those who had no standing now have a standing with God. We have the righteousness of God in us. He makes those who had no fellowship, our fellowship is restored. What a Savior. What a great promise God gave us. If you don't know, you're forgiven. I got really good news for you. You can know. And you can be forgiven. The serpent crusher 
died for us. And he wants to forgive your sin. Many of you would know attending church, getting baptized, going through the you know, catechism or going through you know, some uh, lessons here doesn't mean you get to go to heaven. There has to be a time that you admit you need a, you need a Savior. And there must be a time when you understand, you acknowledge that Jesus is that Savior. You say, Jesus, thank you that you died for me. Would you please save me? And he's never turned down anyone that's come to him in faith. The serpent crusher did what God promised. But there's so much more he added to it that you and I can have standing. We can have righteousness, not our righteousness, the righteousness of God. Friend, if you don't know, you're saved. Would you let us help you? We're not going to embarrass you. You don't have to give a speech. But if you'd be willing to step from your seat and make your way forward, we have fellows here and ladies here to help you. We want to help you. You say, well, I don't want to go up there in front of everybody. Well, the serpent crusher went through all of that for you. He loves you. He will forgive you. Us that are here this morning, we rejoice. We rejoice that we have standing with God. We've been forgiven. Hallelujah. Mercy. Shouldn't we be overwhelmed? It would be a good way to end the year to say, God, thank you for everything. I want to rededicate myself to you. I want to ask you to stand with me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'd like to pray with you, please. Dear God in heaven, I come to you again. I want to say thanks. Thank you so much. I am overwhelmed. And I pray that most of us in this room are overwhelmed with your great love for us. I pray for hearts that are struggling. They're not sure. They're, they're doubting. They're not comfortable about eternity. Would you please convince them that you want to help them and you will? I pray they'd have faith and courage today to step out of their seat and make their way to this altar area where we can help them and pray with them. For us believers, we should be overwhelmed that we would rededicate our hearts to you. Thank you. Our heads are bowed and the invitation is going to begin. Aaron's going to begin to sing. As he sings, would you, would you just do what the Holy Spirit of God is touching, is tugging at your heart to do? Would you do that today? Would you just say yes as Brother Aaron sings? Would you step out right now? Come on.